Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. All right. We had uh, some of our women once again. Um, a lot of times I like to have a title and a, and a way to be able to direct us when it, when it comes to a sermon. It also helps me uh, kind of keep my, keep my focus. We've all, uh, if you've been to church before, known that sometimes pastors have a, a difficult time of staying on track. You know, they see a squirrel and then they start walking over here, right? And so you leave the sermon going, what on earth happened? I, I, he was really difficult to follow. And so I'm going to do the best that I can, but I've really had a, a hard time um, in, in the last couple of weeks. So um, let me preface this by saying, um, when, when we were in youth ministry, and we used to do little questionnaires, and we would talk to people, and, and I've done that here as well, where I've asked people, you know, what are, what are sermons that really affected you in your life? What are things that you want to hear more from? And those kind of go along the lines of topical sermons. They're, they're a topic, and they're really good. Um, they're much easier to preach, frankly. They, they are. Um, but the, the the, what it was interesting, what we had always hear time and time again, the, the kids and the students, and to our amazement, and we were always amazed, they would come, come back, over 90%, and they would say, we want to know more about the Bible. People really want to know what the Bible says. And so, you know, of course, we were pleased with that and said, okay, we got to get more into the Bible. The problem is, is that it's hard work. I hear some little laughing because you know it's true. You start the, the Bible plan and you have good intentions and you start getting into it and it's hard. And sometimes you just don't feel like you're in it and sometimes it's hard to get your, your mind wrapped around certain things. And some of you are just built this way and you love it and you devour it and, and you can just really get into it. And so a few things that I want to encourage you with when it comes to Bible reading and when it, when it comes to um, the way that you get fed spiritually. Um, first of all, how do you learn? How do you learn? Maybe you're a visual learner. I mean, right now, if, you, if you've got young kids, you know that YouTube and the visual uh, way of seeing and, and um, hearing is the way of the future. This is where um, the trends are. Uh, YouTube is the number two most visited site in the world. Okay, this is how people get their information. I mean, my kids even say to me, well, have you Googled it yet? I've asked mechanics things about my car, and just Google it. I don't have the time to tell you. Just Google it. There's some guy out there under his car will show you how to do it. And so this is, um, if this is a way that you learn, you can go, okay, you know, as a church, we have a resource right now, media. You can go on and learn about books of the Bible, and you can have that video um, way and avenue of hearing and so that might be a way that you learn. There's also great teachings on YouTube as well that, I mean, I've used many times by trusted people. There's also a lot of crazy rabbit holes you can get into. And some of you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden you're like, what? And so that's an avenue. Also, the Bible app is a fantastic way of just the audio. You can play it as you're driving in your car, and that's okay. You can do that. You can do that. In the early church, there was no Bible. There was no Bible besides the Old Testament laws that they had, and these things were orally brought down for generation to generation. And so people would hear, and they would repeat. And so I want to encourage you, if you're like, man, I'm really having a hard time opening up my Bible and sitting down and sitting and reading it, well, what ways do you learn? 
And I want you to use those avenues of being able to get the scripture inside of you. And maybe you're really busy. When I used to commute uh, from Hutchinson to the Mall of America to back, or I was in the semi and I was driving all the time, I would listen to things and I would consume that way. And I always joke that my car must have been saved because I preached to that windshield all the time. So I, I just want to be able to give you an excuse to be able to learn differently, even if you feel pressure to do it a certain way, okay? I want you to learn in the way that you learn and allow the Holy Spirit to sink in. And so today we're going into the book of First John. And the reason why I've had trouble um, just kind of bringing one big title to this is because there is so much going on. And a lot of times when, and if you're looking for First John, I would say go to the end of your Bible and you're going to find Revelation. And then there's one book named Jude, and then you got, you'll see, 3rd John, 2nd John, and then just get to 1st John, okay? And so what, what we're finding here, and, and I'm actually going to read the scripture at the end. Usually I like us to read the scripture and then discuss it, but I want to uh, create a little bit of groundwork for you, then I, I hope it's going to change your perception when we read it together. So I want you to think of it this way. Let's say Pastor Dale was snooping in your house and you weren't home, Okay? Sound fun so far? And, and Pastor Dale finds a uh, shoebox in your closet, and oh man, look at all these letters. I'm going to find something juicy in here. Man, it's quiet. <laughs> um, and, and, and I started, I found about a five-page letter, because there's about five chapters here. And I start looking through these letters, and I'm like, Sandra, who's Sandra? So now I'm trying to piece together a life that happened maybe decades ago, and there's details of things I don't understand, and, and I'm able to start slowly piecing things together, and, and by the end of it, I'm probably having to read it again, because now I'm like, oh, did that really happen? Let me, I didn't get the full context of what was going on. I'd never met this person. It was just, the letter seemed so foreign to me. Because I didn't know the people, I didn't understand what was going on. And this is why, like, you think of your, one of your favorite um, sitcoms, you know, that have happened in the last couple decades. You know, I could name a couple, and, and different generations would go, woohoo, right? And, and so if I said Seinfeld, a bunch of you would go, yeah, come on. I'd say The Office, the other ones are, woo, and I'd say Park and Rec, and then there's, an, you know, so there's these different things, right? It gets funnier the more you know the characters, Right? Once you kind of identify and you understand how people function and kind of their roles are, it becomes funnier and funnier and funnier because you understand what's happening. And the Bible is this way. Um, theologians kind of talk about creating a bridge, like this imaginary bridge from where we stand right now and how can we put a bridge to where we are to where they were at that time. Okay, so how can we make this connection and how can we make application to us today? So the question that sometimes it's actually harder for me than the actual text is to sit and go, Lord, what is the application for us in this church today? How does this apply to me? And so when I look at the, at the book of 1 John, there is, there's so much stuff happening, I just can't even deal with my notes right now. Okay, because if there's, just, there's just so much happening. So here, here's, let me set this up a little bit. Um, I had a professor once that, that said that Gnosticism was the greatest enemy of the first, the first church. 
So in, in the first 100 years, Gnosticism almost completely destroyed the church. Gnosticism is from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-N-I-S, gnosis. So it, it means knowledge, okay? And so John um, is dealing with this Gnostic presence that is starting to integrate and to find its way um, into the church. And then there's this funny word called Dosticism. And so, first of all, the, the Dotists, they believed that God could not die. They, they believed that there's no way that, that, that some perfect being, the spirit of God, could actually come in present form and die. And so they looked and they said, well, he must have created something like uh, an apparition or it, he was a ghost, or it was like a hologram, and he went on the cross, and yet it looked like he died, but he didn't die. And some even went as far as to say they just kind of, that God had a stand-in, because he couldn't actually die. And so you had that way of thinking that John is writing to. And then the Gnostics, this was um, dualistic thinking of a spirit man and the outward material world. So their belief is that materialism is inherently bad. Everything of material, your outer body is bad, but there is something inside of you, the spirit man, and that is good. That is the only thing in this world that is good. So think about where that leads. So two things would happen. One, the people who would start following into that Gnostic idea, they would go, wow, everything's bad. I'm going to treat my body badly. And they would actually harm themselves. They would starve themselves. They would do crazy things to try and punish their material body because it's sinful. And they, they, were, just, they were just so sick of themselves and the sin and everything around them. But then it went to the opposite side, too, of saying, well, I'm just going to give my body whatever it craves. Right? So you can see how bad that that can get quickly. So here you have the church, you have uh, the apostle Paul, where, I mean, think of this. So Paul's the last of the, the disciples. He is still alive. He's an elder by this point. And he is seeing this happening in the church. He's seeing it wreck the church. He's seeing the divisions. He's hearing from it. And now he has to write a letter to these churches to try and instruct them and to help them. So how does he do that? How does this elder, one that walked with Jesus, help and correct a, a church that is starting to fall apart with this false teaching that's coming inside? And it's coming in hardcore. So I, I think to, to think of it this way is us as a church, we know that there are a lot of voices in this world. And we're hearing things and we're constantly being told different things and what to believe and what not to believe. And we as a church, and, and this is why I love the third song that we sang today, we were singing what we believe. We, we were singing the tenets of our faith. And this actually is what John does. He talks about who God is. And we're going to read that in just a minute. He talks and, and he shows his authority by saying three times in three verses, I have heard with my own ears. I have touched with my own hands. I have seen with my own eyes. And then he begins to direct. So he shows his authority. He shows who he is. And then he directs us 
in the way to be able to follow him. And so I would just, as a church, you need to know that your relationship with Jesus means everything to us. And so my job, my core job, is to do my best to direct you towards Jesus. Is to direct you and point everything that we do, the way that we view this world, is through the eyes and through the lens of Jesus. And so a few things. So we know that John, well, most know that the apostle John is the one that wrote this Bible or wrote this book, 1 John. Now, some people believe that there was a second John because it says John the Elder, and we don't know um, John the Elder, but we know at this time John is quite old, and he is definitely the elder at this point. And also, the language that is used, the very first chapter is so much like the Gospel of John. And so we make this connection, and it's very easy for theologians to say this is definitely John. And uh, some of the early disciples that followed John and were taught under John actually said this was the book of John. Now, there is uh, this amazing story of this guy named Jerome. And one of the biggest themes, and this is where John is also called the apostle of love. First John, you hear the word love, love, love all the time. And listen to this. This is just, um, just so encouraging to me. Um, so John says that when, or Jerome says when John was so weak, he could barely do anything anymore. He used to be carried out and he would, they would carry him out and all he would say is love, love your brothers and sisters. That's all you have to do. That's, I mean, he, he didn't have the strength. He didn't, he wasn't able to, to do the things that he wanted to do anymore. And um, so he said, one of the times he was carried out and he repeated this message and someone had the courage to ask uh, the last living disciple, why do you always say this? And John answered, because it is the Lord's command. And if you only do this, it is enough. If you only do this, is enough. And what a, what a powerful message that we know that even Jesus, when he, when he was asked, what is the greatest command? It was love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It is amazing that those two commands, even when you go down the Ten Commandments, that if you follow those two things, that the rest of the Ten Commandments begin to fall into line and be able to fall into order. So let's open up 1 John, starting at verse 1. I'm just going to read with you on the front here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our own hands, have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So again, you, you, you see with my own eyes that we have touched, we have seen. He is showing his authority. I was there. I was there. You were not. I was taught by God. Now, think of it this way, too. John, the disciples, were taught from Jesus. Jesus said, I only do what my Father in heaven does. So Jesus receives from God the Father, he also being God. The disciples, those who follow Jesus, are there being specifically instructed by God through Jesus. They now repeat what Jesus is doing. They pen the Gospels. They teach that through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, 
And so when we are interacting with Scripture, when we are praying, when we do as we have been taught, we are literally being taught from the mouth of God. It is powerful. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son and with Jesus Christ. Could you put up uh, those slides for me, please? I know I'm making you jump around. So, talking about fellowship here. So, everybody here is going to have fellowship with something. You cannot avoid fellowship with something. And the scripture is pointing out light and darkness. We see this in, in chapter 1 of John, that the light came into the world and the darkness didn't understand it and they had to move, right? Here, fellowship, you are either fellowshipping with sin and darkness apart from God, or you are fellowshipping with light, the love of God. God is love. God is light. And so we can't pick and choose. Could you go to the other one, please? We can't pick or choose what we're deciding that we just want it all. And this is what the world is, is trying to sell to us today, is that you can just have it all. You can, you can mix and match. You can have a little bit of this, but you can do the Gnostic thing and follow your own desires and your own flesh but John is saying, no, you cannot do this. This is not the way to live. This is not what you were taught in the beginning. Remember, I was there. I saw with my own eyes. I touched with my own hands. This is not the way to live. And so what we see through 1 John is, in one verse, he'll share the entire gospel, and we're going to see that in a second. Over and over and over again, he solidifies what they were taught from the beginning, what you were taught. Friends, what were you taught? Have you gone away from what you were taught in the beginning? And what we've done is, is we've taken sin. I, I want to sin and love. Well, what the Bible is saying, you cannot truly love the way that God has designed us to love when we have separation from him. We were designed to follow our maker. Anytime that we are apart from that, we are now apart from what it really means to love. Now, I'm not talking about you can't love your spouse, you can't love your kids. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the sense of when we are connected with who Christ is, the way that he has designed us to be, then we truly understand that he sent Jesus to die. There is no greater love than that. And when we embrace that God designed us and created us for a reason and that each one of you have plans and purposes that God has put inside of you and that just like um, Paul was telling us and proclaiming that when we do this, that we can forgive one another as Christ forgave us, we are now understanding what love is. And 1 John is explaining this to us. The problem is, is we think, well, I can be in the light and do Jesus-y things and, and, you know, say Jesus-y things and clap on Sunday and do the things and still do my own things and live in darkness or the sin and love. So we try and mesh these things. And here's the thing. Your fellowship will start breaking and ripping at the seams. Okay? Your fellowship with Christ will begin to break. And so you even find this in the church family. When people start getting into sin, something happens. 
And we just feel like somebody's getting drawn away. Something is going on. And a lot of times, people are trying to mesh in their lives and the things that they are starting to go to and, and combine it with their people of like faith. But those things begin to get separated. And we cannot have fellowship, true fellowship together, when sin starts to come in between. Now, this is a little unpopular, but unfortunately, if you feel this way, you lose because it's in the Bible. Um, we, we like to say this thing. To, it makes us feel so good when we say sin is sin. Sin is sin, you know, and it helps us relate with people because we want to be super relatable, right? And so <clears throat> your sin is your sin, my sin is my sin, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, in 1 John 5, it tells us that not all sin is alike. And it says that that. Some of you are in sin that doesn't cause death. And in those situations, I don't need to confront you on it. I can just pray for you and ask that the Holy Spirit help guide you through this because this is definitely not going in the right direction. But there is a sin that will cause death. And so sin is not just sin. There are sins that are sins against us and against our bodies and against each other. And John points this out. And it is so important for us to understand that there are sins that, that will de derail our lives. There are distractions and beliefs about God that are false. And they will wreck the way that we serve God. God wants us to have good theology. Meaning that we have right thinking about who he is and how we as people relate to God. God created us. We are not God. We are to fear God. Well, pastor, you just said a lot about love. Right. I, I had a, a guy that I worked with for years, and oh, Jana knows. He drove me crazy. Oh, man. I called him the love doctor because all he talked about was love, 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 love. I know. Here your pastor getting just sick of the word love, right? And I was like, seriously? I mean, everything. Oh, all they need to do is love. All they need to do is love. Love, love, love. And finally, I just said, I said, what about the fear of God? And you would have thought that I told him he had one day to live. He goes, oh, why would anybody fear God? And I thought, I mean, my face gave me away at this point. I realized this guy has never actually read his Bible before because we are created from God. It, it, it makes me think of when, when I was in North Dakota, and, and understand that if you think you've been in flatlands, North Dakota is flatter, okay? You can see, like when I worked in the grain elevators, I could go up to the top of the grain elevator, and I could look down, and I could see my town 20 miles away, and the only thing between it were fields. You could just look and see everything. It was so flat. And so when tornadoes came in, it was really an exciting time because we would go and run around and you'd get your little Fuji, you know, click camera. <laughs> you know, it was great. It was great. And it was so fun until it seemed super exciting until you get too close and you're driving and you see the devastation of trees enormous trees that are hundreds years old, totally upside down, and houses totally devastated and destroyed, and all of a sudden, fear begins to grip you. There, I have this picture that I've kept, and of course, it's with the little 
junky camera, but it's the only picture I think that ever turned out from those. And I, I took this picture, and it was the contrast between the, the dark soil of the Red River Valley and just bright green grass, and then the dark leftover sky from a storm. And I just clicked. I walked out in a field and took it. I didn't think anything of it. And when I look at it at this day, it brings me fear because I didn't see the giant funnel cloud that was right there. It was, it, it, I, I didn't even see it until the picture's there. It, it, is, it is absolutely remarkable. And this is how I describe the fear of the Lord. That it sounds so good, like, oh, I can, I can just get right before God, and I can, I can present myself because I'm ready to, to be able to be right there. But then the truth of the matter is, is when God shows up in his perfection and his truth, we're not ready for it. Just as our bodies weren't designed to withstand a tornado, we, our bodies, were not designed to be able to be in the presence of God until we are present with him in eternity. The fear of God is real. The greatness of God is great and real. Could we go back? I think we're on verse 4. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. God is perfection. We are not yet. And so when we come together with that perfection, it is too much for us truly to be ready for, which is, of course, why we need Jesus. Okay, seven? Oh, sorry. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Again, like the diagram I showed. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, those that ever listened to DC Talk, you know that verse from there. Some of you were thinking it, weren't you? <laughs> we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin or from all unrighteousness. This is a great verse for you to memorize. This is a great verse to you, for you to get into your being. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is, again, the gospel. John reminding us what we are to believe about ourselves. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is a big problem. That we think that we can do whatever we want or the things that we do, they're not a big deal. They are a big deal. They do matter. Verse 9, another good one to, to memorize because this is the faithfulness of God going back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, uh, John repeating to us what we are to believe. If we do sin, confess it. Confess it. 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we have made him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. All right, and I believe chapter 2, we're just doing two verses. My dear children, so you can tell this is an elder. You can tell that this is somebody who, who is speaking in a very intimate way to people that he loves. 
my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, and if this were my Bible, I circle the but, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. John is laying this foundation, who Christ is, who he is to even be writing this letter to us, and then it brings us to this is what Jesus Christ has done, and he is guiding us. Don't sin. Stay out of it. But if you do, you have Jesus. So confess your sins. Confess it. This is all we're going to be going through with John today. And so I'm just going to read um, a number of things that we have to look forward to as we're reading through the rest of this book in the coming weeks. John tells us, love God who created us. John tells us to love those that are created by God, which means our neighbors. John tells us to have the hope of glory fixed in us. John tells us to declare our repentance by confessing our sins. John tells us to overcome the wicked one and the world. John tells us to conquer the lusts of the flesh. John tells us to walk as Christ walked by imitating him. John tells us to abide in him by perseverance. John tells us to hear the word preached by the ministers. John tells us to open up the depths of our compassion towards others. And John tells us to do righteousness by keeping God's commandments. Friends, when you read the book of John, or First John, I want you to start thinking in your mind that this letter was written to help correct a church that was beginning to be pulled apart that there were separations in thinking and there was a theology that was beginning to break. There were actually people coming in and starting to teach totally false doctrines and 1 John is instructing them on what to do. And I believe by us opening up the Bible and seeing how that applies to us today is going to change our lives. Would you please stand? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we get to come and, and break bread and, and drink the cup, Lord, of your blood that was poured out for us, Lord Jesus. And like uh, Paul so eloquently said, that, that we remember and proclaim. Lord, I thank you that we can do that. I thank you that we can come and, and celebrate and rally behind the Tysons, Lord Jesus, and precious Caitlin. Lord, I believe that this is part of the body of Christ and what you've designed us to do. I thank you that we can open up First John, Lord, and, and you can speak to us through your word, that you can direct us. Lord, I pray that you begin to open up hearts in here, you, you begin to open up minds, and to understand that, that all of us, Lord Jesus, can open up your scripture and you can speak to us. Heavenly, Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray that we are people of the word, that we are people not afraid to proclaim your promises, 
And Lord, just help us to love one another as you have loved us. In your holy name we pray. The church said, amen. Let it be. Let it be. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.